This is the Bayma Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we see that Jesus is arrested and finds himself questioned. Peter is questioned and finds himself lacking in courage. And Pilate is drawn into an argument and finds himself cornered. Yes, indeed. I don't have like a ton of notes here. We're just going to walk through this and see. But you, I think you told me in passing that the NET more than makes up <laughs> on my lack of notes with notes of its own. The NET has notes. Yeah, I think there's a, <laughs> 120 footnotes in this chapter somewhere around oh, there. Oh, man. Well, I'm sure you've picked the best ones, but we can dive in and see where it takes us here. I'll probably interrupt with just kind of stupid historical commentary every two verses. <laughs> Perfect. That's what we do. <laughs> stupid historical commentary. I don't know if it's that stupid, but sure. Uh, let's see. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his <sighs> disciples it, went into it. It just <laughs> proved what we went over last. Sometimes I feel like I've never read my Bible before. Like, sometimes... I still, to this day, all the stuff that I've studied and learned and all the Bayma podcasting I've done, and I still routinely run across, like you, we talked in the last episode, you reframed stuff, and I'm like, I've never even thought, of, but I don't think it even is, and and like I was pretty sure, and now first verses, he's not even on the other side of the Kidron Valley when he prayed the John 17 prayer. I, I just, I've just <laughs> never, good golly, that is uh. so crazy to me how I can still learn how crazy my mental paradigm and the the pictures and the images that we have in our heads. So, man, there you go. Jiminy. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I think this is maybe the problem with trying to harmonize things is that when you don't look at a single gospel by itself all the time, like you just, you just, yeah, you, you just mix up these details. And maybe because of some of the things that Jesus says in some of these passages, when you harmonize it, you have to put the prayer in the garden, even though John says they haven't crossed. Yeah. And see, to be fair to the harmony, like I think maybe that's when we, when we, when we teach ourselves to harmonize as a knee jerk reaction, I think you're probably right. To be fair, I, I would almost be 100% confident that if I were to go pull my harmony of, of the gospels off the shelf, it probably caught that detail because that's exactly what it's trying to do when it harmonizes. It probably put that prayer in the right spot and all those things. And if I were to be fair to the harmony of the gospel lovers, if uh, if Gundry were sitting in my room, he would be like, if you just did what I told you to do, you would have noticed that years ago, Solomon. And maybe he'd even be right. I don't even know. But I digress. Yeah, sure. In in the harmony itself, I just think the idea of harmonizing it. Yes, we, yeah. we, yes, we pull details together. It's the same thing we talked about with the confession, the Great Commission and the Ascension. We always put those two stories together. We, yeah, the Ascension and the Great... Jesus utters the Great Commission and then he ascends. And when you look at the details of the story, you're like, no, he doesn't. He's on the mountain in Galilee when he gives the Great Commission, and he ascends on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. So they're two completely different stories. Um, but yeah, it's just we just get used to that. And uh, I love that the Bible's still fresh. Every day, who knows when Brent Billings is going to blow your mind. <laughs> okay. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. 
They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. All right. Now, people have often tried, and there is a case to be made. I understand the case to be made. It's just not a good case, and they're wrong. Um, this is absolutely <laughs> the Thank you for laughing at that, Brent. Um, they, this, is, this is obviously, as I read it, this is the Sanhedrin. This is not a group of Roman soldiers. Um, I think some of the classes that I took tried to make this Roman soldiers. I've heard lots of people say this is Roman soldiers. This is not a detachment of Roman soldiers. There's nothing Roman about his arrest. This is completely the chief priests. The phrase even says, I don't know, watch the NET will probably disagree with me and have some crazy footnote. But the detachment of of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests, that whole group is from that informal Sanhedrin, even the Pharisees, the chief priests and the Pharisees. That's an informal group, the informal Sanhedrin, that hit squad we talked about in session three, that's who's coming out here as a group of, and I think DNET even distinguished between the Levitical guard and the temple police. Yeah. If I remember right from chapters before, what does the NET say here, Brent? That's true. So here it says the word for cohort, um, NIV says detachment of soldiers, but the, the Greek word is cohort and that is spiron or something uh which I don't says like where this is headed don't do this yeah. to me net don't <laughs> it says it's a technical term for a roman cohort which would be 600 men uh one tenth of a legion it was under the command of a chiliarchos something like that uh which is what is mentioned in verse 12 uh where where it says the detachment with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. Uh, so the NET says that they think probably because Rome was concerned about some sort of uprising, that it would make sense uh, that they would accompany any sort of, because we do see Pilate involved later, like like there is Roman involvement going on here. And so they're like, well, Rome's going to be nervous about some sort of uprising revolution attempted coup whatever you want to call it uh they're going to be concerned and so like maybe they're not going to send out a whole legion or even uh, the net thinks it's even ridiculous the idea that 600 soldiers would be there but just like you know one commanding officer with his smaller group of soldiers it's like hey can you guys like keep an eye on this and make sure nothing crazy happens and so the chief priests and the pharisees are leading the charge here uh, but there are soldiers accompanying them just to kind of like keep an eye on it and make sure nothing gets out of hand. Well, if I could channel my Dr. Cox from the uh, Scrubs TV show. Wrong, 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 <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. No, that's just wrong. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I just absolutely fundamentally disagree. I think there's so many ridiculous things that are suggested there. Um, Rome will get drug into this later. They're going to get pilot up in the middle of the night. And Pilate's like, what? And the like, Rome is not involved. This is not a Roman cohort. Um, I love how they're like, the technical term is this. It has to be six hundred soldiers. But then they're like, ah, oh, but the, but they're not really talking about that. So they use the term to talk about. Nope, nope, no, nope, nope, nope. Sorry, Net. Going to disagree with you on this one. This is just the chief priests coming out with the hit squad to arrest Jesus. This is a Jewish, not a Jewish. We, we were very clear about this in session three. This isn't just a Jewish move. This is. The chief priest, this is a corrupt, religious, mafia-like leadership coming out to arrest Jesus. They are going to force Rome's hand. Rome doesn't care. I, I'm going to get to this by the time we're done with the episode today. Rome doesn't care about this. 
Do you think Rome cares about Jesus and his dumb little rogue ministry that they, from a, I say dumb from a Roman perspective, they don't, this isn't, no way. The chief priests are going to, are going to force, I was just watching a video today or, or this week about, um, how Rome, like Jesus challenged Rome and Rome was out to get Jesus and Rome killed you, which I love. I love the empire versus Shalom narrative. You know that I love the imperial narrative of Jesus against Rome. Like, I love that. It's just not historically accurate. Um, Jesus didn't go attack Rome. Jesus went in. What is, who has he just spent the last week? See, Brent, you got me going. This is going to be a short episode today. But <laughs> who who did Jesus go in and spend a week confronting? Did, did he go in and attack Pilate? No, no. I mean, he did the whole triumphal entry thing. I mean, that's the closest thing to Rome he got because the rest of the week, He's going to attack directly who? The chief priests, the Pharisees. Chief priests, chief priests, chief priests, Pharisees, Pharisees, chief priests, Pharisees, chief priests, chief priests, chief priests, Pharisees. He's been doing Pharisees for three years. That's not a big deal. Chief priest for one week gets himself crucified. This is a chief priest issue. He's not Rome. And trust me, Jesus is aware and he tries to even tell Pilate like, so So let me just back up. I'm, I'm so worked up right now. So... So Rome doesn't care about Jesus, but make no mistake about it, Jesus isn't impressed with Rome either. Like Jesus is like, I don't care about Rome. Like Rome's like, I don't care about Jesus. And Jesus is like, I don't, like he cares about Rome. Like don't, don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying he doesn't care about Rome. And I'm not saying he wouldn't say Rome's a big deal. But Jesus is like, Rome, I know what category to put you in. Like <laughs> this is going to be the beast of revelation. This is Babylon. I know what to do with Rome. That's not what's keeping me up at night. What's keeping me up at night is what God has called his people to, and they're saying yes, but corrupt religious leadership is getting in the way and saying no. And God has some words for that corrupt religious leadership. So you're like, man, why is Marty getting so worked up about this? Because this matters in how we frame the story. And it may be the Greek word for a cohort, but that historically is so implausible to me. Uh, that's just no way. No way. Sorry, NET. All those brilliant scholars that know more than me. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even convinced Brent Billings, everybody. It's good. It's good. Well, I just, there's there's so many different people mentioned. And, and this is the problem with this whole chapter is who in the world is John talking about here? Because this, this is not the only question as to who is involved. Um, yeah. So in verse three, it says, Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers. That's the cohort and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the NET says that those officials are distinct from the temple police, the Levites that we talked about previously. This is in the NET footnote, but it's according to K H Rangstorf. I don't know who that is. And they're, they're saying like, the the temple police, the Levites, tried to arrest Jesus previously and didn't get him. And so now they have a different set of people, including Roman soldiers, because they're done with this guy. They don't want him slipping through the crowd like he did before. Yeah, nope. Um, but it's it's not the Levitical. It's definitely not the they're right about the the temple police. It's not the temple like the Levitical temple police. This is going to be that hit squad. That's why it's a detachment of soldiers. And I think where I think they're making an arbitrary distinction. I'm no Greek scholar. Remember how I feel about Greek, but I think you can also read that as one unit. 
a, a, like one identity, a, a detachment of, sh- of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. I think those aren't two different groups. That's one group of people. Yeah. Soldiers and officials. Like they sent out the people because they didn't want to leave it up to the Levitical guard. Like they sent the corrupt chief priest leadership along with their corrupt hit squad to come get Jesus. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I see and I read that. Yeah. Is it parentheses, detachment of soldiers and some officials, close parentheses, and then that whole unit from the chief priests and the Pharisees? Right. Or is it detachment of soldiers by itself and some officials from the chief priests and right. the Pharisees? Right. But I'm no Greek scholar. Somebody could send me an email and be like, Marty, the NAT is right. And here's why Greek doesn't let you do that. <laughs> And I would still say, okay, but we still don't know that detachment of soldiers is Roman. But nevertheless, I will still remain unconvinced. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, I would be curious to see, um, I I didn't look it up, but I'd be curious to see where this word, this cohort word, and where the, uh, in verse 12, where the commander, uh, where those words are used elsewhere, if if John uses them or what, and try to puzzle some of that out. But... I think we've spent enough time on these clowns, so sure let's, have. let's move on or we're never going to finish this episode. Uh, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I do wish I knew if he said, like, did he utter like the the holy name of God? Like, was it? Because I'm not sure the Greek gives us enough to know. And I think he spoke in the Hebrew because I don't think he's talking to Roman soldiers. <laughs> so, yeah, that would that would definitely bolster that. And the NET does say that he's using the holy name of God here. But he's <laughs> so, using it to Roman soldiers and they all feel, but I get it. I, I, they, they could still say that. I mean, I, I'm not dogging on them. They could still say that that makes sense and they'd be clueless and follow the ground. Or, honestly, I think another... The footnote is so ridiculous here. They're like, <laughs> well, maybe because we see earlier or we see later, um, like Peter goes and cuts off the, the ear of the high priest's servant. So this is like, Peter's not going into the crowd to do this. Like this person is at the front, which makes sense. Uh, but the, the footnote's like, well, maybe the people in the front like fell back at this and they bumped into the other people. <laughs> I, I just can't even, I can't even. I do wonder at times if it's the holy name of God or if he's saying it in the Hebrew. Another option I think we have in play here because it's written in Greek we also have the option that in the Hebrew, he could be saying Hanani, which goes back to all kinds of references. That wouldn't be the name of God. That would be like, here I am, like Abraham said in the Akeda story to Isaac, or what Isaiah says when he says, here I am, send me, or so many utterances in the old, huge utterances in the Old Testament or the utterances Hanani. I, I'd love to know either one of them is juicy for me. I, I, I'll go with either, um, and I don't think we can tell, but those are two different things that he may have said in the Hebrew, if he said it in the Hebrew, that would both make sense to me. I mean, it seems more likely that the name of God would make people fall to the ground. That's my that's my gut reaction, too. Although, I mean, hey, if God wants to do that with Hanani, too, that'd be cool, too. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happens so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Um, which the NIV footnote says, John six thirty nine. 39, NET says, 
Some say John 6.39, but it also could be referring back more recently to John 17. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, John 17. Yep. Uh, I think that would make more sense in just the proximity uh, because it is not it is not the exact matching language of John 6. Sure. So yep. um, I think if it was the exact language, then you would probably want to do that. But um, in this case, it's probably better just to refer back to the more recent yep. example. Uh, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. All right, so here's Peter drawing his zealot dagger out, and I don't think like we always picture like we 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 picture uh, uh, Peter lunging with his knife and kind of missing, but cutting off his ear kind of by accident. I think Peter jumps on this guy's back and starts intentionally sawing his ear off. Like this is a very Jewish move. He is saying you're not. You you are this high priest servant. You're not hearing the voice. Of, there could be a million remezes he could be making here by cutting off his ear. But I think he's intentionally removing one of his body parts, which would have huge ramifications, by the way, as a member of the high priest family. But nevertheless, I digress. Um, I, I don't think this is Peter lunging and he happens to cut off his ear. I think this is absolutely intentional on Peter's part. He is cutting off his ear on purpose, but that's just me. Something my teachers taught me, and I think they're totally right. But my teachers also taught me it was the temple guard. So there you go. <laughs> Specifically, the right ear. Exactly. Exactly. Don't get me wound up again, Brent. <laughs> uh, it is interesting that uh, John actually names the servant here. Um, this person doesn't show up anywhere else, does he? Uh, uh, there's some detail that is relevant there. And I cannot, I was trying to remember what it was and I cannot pull it out of the archives of my memory there, but there's some reason why that name is relevant. I can't remember why. Yeah. Could be potentially interesting to look up the meaning of the name. We'll leave that to the listener. I think okay. uh, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? All right. Which I won't add. I don't have time to add a whole bunch of commentary there. We already did our lesson back in session three about how Jesus followers, I mean, this is one of those, just those direct places. And you could say like, well, it's because Jesus has to go to the cross, so he has to. But Jesus seems to directly rebuke and reprimand his disciples for this idea that what we're supposed to do is fight back. And Jesus says, no, this is not, this is not the way of the kingdom. I just spent five chapters telling you, four chapters telling you, this is what lies ahead of you. I just told you, you're going to have to persevere and endure through this. This is not, do not pull your swords out. This is not the way of the kingdom. I just told you the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I go to the cross. Follow me there. Put away your sword. I, and I hope we're listening and, and pick up on that because I think we, I think we are, are, we, we are provoked by that message if we hear it. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. All right, so they're going to bring him to the house. This is going to be where the informal, again, that informal mafia-like Sanhedrin the corrupt, the truly, completely corrupt Sanhedrin that meets in the high priest's house. I've taken you to the house that I think is the right house, Brent. I don't know if it is. I don't know if I'm right. But uh, I've taken you to the place that I think this is the place. I think it's the right one. And this is one of the questions. Uh, several times in this chapter, uh, it seems to suggest that Annas is the high priest. But it also says Caiaphas is the high priest. Um, and we know Annas was previously... Um, 
but is it like one of those things where it's like, oh, once a high priest, that's just a title that you hold, even if you're not the acting high priest? Or, you know, was he functionally the high priest, even though technically his son was holding the office? Uh, or, yeah, son-in-law, I guess. Yeah, and there's more details about that, too. Apparently, I came very unprepared for Brent Billings' questions today because um, there's something about that I've been told, too. And I can't remember if it's even how the Greek can be read. If it's the Annas who was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, the high priest, that your Caiaphas is the high priest. I can't even remember. But, um, yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely, it fits the the history. And then there's an argument about what year we're talking about. Because if we knew what year it was, we could help bring some clarity to who the high priest really was in that year. But, yeah, the whole thing is this convoluted Herodian corrupt mess. So it's Annas, but it's his son, but then it's his grandson, but then it's his nephew, but it's an adopted son. And it's always the house of Annas. It will never leave the house of Ananus, is another way you say it in the Hebrew. It'll stay in the same extended family the entire time from Herod the Great until the destruction of the temple. So it's always the same household. Of the seven families, it will stay in the same family the entire time. Yeah, we see, uh, you know, in verse 19, it says, the high priest questioned Jesus. And then in verse 24, it says, then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas. So it's like, well, Right. What, what does it say? Yeah. And I think, I think it would make sense like to have, like he's the, he's the patriarch of this corrupt priesthood. And so sure, maybe he's got a son sitting in the chair, but he's the godfather. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so we have, uh, let's see, Simon, Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, repeated detail there, interesting, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Okay, so that's crazy that John has, we assume it's John, you could argue that, but it's some disciple, I assume it's John, the author of this gospel. He has connections to the high priest's family. We know that's true. We know, well, we don't know. Marty has made the case that half of these disciples in Jesus' Havara are cousins, first cousins, second cousins. They're all connected. John the Baptist, like this was a family affair, and you have people connected to Zechariah. Zechariah is connected to priesthood. You're going to have cousins and family relatives connected to priesthood. So John has the connections to essentially get on site, and he gets Peter on site, but Peter has to kind of like hang out where all the servants and the outsiders and non-special people are well where john as actual family i'm not gonna i'm not gonna suggest he's all the way in in the middle of the action but he's more inside the palace grounds than peter is yeah and this is you know another one of those ones where yeah probably is john like it seems like it would be john but just the language he uses is a little bit different than the self-referential language that we see in other parts of the gospel so is he trying to make a distinction there sure right yep lots lots of questions Yep. Um, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. And that one is one of those Greek constructions where the, the response is assumed to be negative. Uh, it was cold. And, and I wonder if that like led Peter, like it was easier for him to just agree. He's like, oh yeah, I'm not. Or, or if he like, I don't know. Oh, I, I get it. Because you're what, saying what his her, posture was when he was saying that. Sure, you're saying her first question is a question that assumes like you're not you're not one of them, right? And that you're saying that posture and that tone could have led Peter to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not who you're thinking. Yeah, sure. 
It's great. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. There's one of those references there, one of those kind of backwards references. And I love Jesus. He just, and he's not, he's not appealing to like a legal code. Like there is Jewish legal code behind what's happening. Jesus knows what kind of a setting he's in. He's simply just asking like, he's, remember in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about turning the other cheek and all those stuff. And we talked about a third option. Like it's not, it's not passive. It's not just passivity but nor is it aggression, aggressive response. It's like this third option that doesn't respond in kind, yet also shows the evil to be the evil that it is. And Jesus is now demonstrating that right here. He's not responding with his own redemptive violence, but he's also not just sitting there in, in this story, in other stories he does, but in this story, he's like, hey, what's like? There's there's logical ways to handle this. There are right ways to handle this. He's just showing it to be what it is. This is all just kind of a charade and corruption. And I'm just going to make sure that everybody just kind of has to own that and see that for what it is. Yes. Um, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? What's the Greek construction there? That is the assumed negative. Assumed negative. Okay. Okay. He denied it saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And this is an assumed oh. positive. Oh, juicy. I was waiting for that. I just knew you'd have something delicious for us there. <laughs> I love that. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Yes, I have tried to do a bunch. Well, I'm not even going to get into that. No time, Brent. There is a There is a theory that somebody ran into and gave to me, and I have been intrigued by it, and tried to validate its historical veracity. Um, and, and so I don't know. I give that, I give this to you with like open hands because I haven't been able to like track it down and say, yes, I'm confident this is what's going on. But the rooster crowing is a phrase that has been used in Jewish history to refer to not just a bird, like the bird, the rooster, the fowl doing what it does, but there was, at the temple, they would open the temple gates and, in the morning and close the temple gates, and it would be, it would be shut over those night, those night watches. And so it's the, it's the guard that announces that the gate is being shut because now the altar is closed. There's no atonement being offered. And when the gates get opened back up again, that same guard, that herald, will, would announce loudly with a shout that there is the gates are now open again and and you could access the temple atonement is accessible again would be the message there and that what that fra- that happening there was referred to as the as the the crowing uh, the rooster crow and so that expression if that's the case and if you're there like Brent you've been in that house or whether it's that house or not You've been in the district where the priesthood lived. 
it is 200 yards away from the Temple Mount. You could absolutely hear that shout go up in the priestly quarters if that were the case. And if that is what's being referenced, and I think that's still a big if for me, but maybe people can go do their own research and, and discover what they think. If that is the case, the 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 allusion there to Peter's Peter's situation, like he's denying Jesus, and when you hear that sound, atonement is now accessible again. I mean, what a what a weird, eerie illusion there. If what he just heard was atonement is is closed, atonement is open. Uh, but anyway, I digress. I give that all to people to go do their own little their own little research there. Yeah. Um NET footnote says that, you know, the evidence based on the other gospel accounts is that it's probably a, an actual rooster crowing. Um but they say that some scholars have suggested uh, it could refer to the trumpet call that ended the third watch of the night, which would put it at 3 a.m. Yep. I, I'm glad they referenced it. I didn't. I, that's great. NET kind of backs up that the historical plausibility of that. That's, that's great. Okay. Yeah. They said at that time of year, um, that would have been around the right time for a rooster to begin crowing for the day anyway. Sure. So it doesn't really change that much as far as the timeline. Um but yeah, they, they, you know, there's some, some scholars who are working that angle. So it's not crazy. All right, there you go. Well, do with that what you will. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, further study seems to be warranted at this point. Yes. Uh, then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? All right. So let's go. Hold on a second. I need to make sure. Let me read this again. So Pilate, uh, uh, so the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. I love that phrase. People always put the, like the Via del Rosa. I'm not trying to upset, especially any Catholic listeners or anything like that. The Via del Rosa in Jerusalem goes from what used to be the Antonio Fortress to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. I'm totally fine with the location of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but Jesus is not having a conversation with Pilate in the Antonio Fortress. It's the middle of the night. They're essentially waking Pilate up. They're bringing him to his palace, which is on the, the other side of Jerusalem, old city, from where Antonio Fortress is, which is why Pilate is quite perturbed and like, what are you, what are you waking me up for? Why have you brought this to me? What in the world? Like, this is not... Again, Pilate is like, I, what does this have to do with me? Like, what does this have to do with Rome? What in the world? Go ahead. Uh, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Yeah, don't question us, they say. We, we've got our reasons. We wouldn't have woken you up in the middle of the morning. Just do what we say. Just, just quit asking questions and help us get on with stuff so you can get back to bed and we can. And it's not bed, bed. It's early, early morning. But still, this is quite the, the situation there they're putting on. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? So they essentially say, We want execution, which is Pilate's like, Oh, okay, well, this is okay, this is now serious because he just go deal with your own problems. Why are you bringing me into this? He probably knows 
But they say, well, we have to use you because Rome doesn't let us put anybody to death. That's against the law. Rome's the only one that can actually put anybody to death. This person deserves death. That's why we're here. We need you to execute him or or at the very least allow us to, but we need you to uh, permit the execution. And this is one of those instances where you really got to wonder where Pilate's emphasis is. It's like, okay, so they're saying this. Are you the king of the Jews? Or maybe he's looking at Jesus and Jesus has been up all night. It's probably, uh, you know, we've talked about it doesn't say in john does it that he's sweating blood but yeah sure like he's he's been on the ground in prayer he's been yep you know this he probably looks pretty terrible <laughs> and yep. and pilate's looking are are you the king of the jews like <laughs> you don't look like a king uh you know are are you the king of the jews uh, like are you actually that important are you like what is his what yeah, is his sure. yep absolutely. what is he getting at here yep is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So Pilate's like, man, I do not want to, like, what in the world is all this back and forth about? Like, I, I'm i not a Jew. I'm not trying to get tied up. I'm trying to figure out what you've done. Who are you? Are you some terrorist revolutionary? Like, like he's trying to get a read on Jesus. Jesus is like, well, what do you, like, Jesus, I almost... Not that I'm saying there's a connection, but in my mind, I almost see a connection between the way God is pursuing Pharaoh in the story of Exodus. Like they have their agendas, they have their things they want to do, and she's like, "No, no, no, no. let's ha- let's you and me have a conversation, Pilate. Let's you and me." And church tradition is going to say that Pilate, not church history, church tradition is going to say that Pilate is converted when this whole thing is done. So, is this all a part of Jesus, like chasing after? Pilate and pursuing him. There's also church tradition that says that Pilate didn't convert at all. Quite a different story. But nevertheless, who knows? But I see Jesus going, yeah, yeah, I, I know they have this stuff, but I let let you and me have a conversation. Like, what do you think about me? Are you just listening to what they think? What are what are your thoughts? But I could be reading too much into that. Uh let's see. So Pilate's asking, what is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. All right. So Jesus says, I oh, don't have to worry about, I'm not here to do Roman stuff, Romans way. Like I'm here to do kingdom stuff, the kingdom way. I'm, I'm not, what I'm doing isn't like what you're doing. We're not, we're not really talking apples to apples here. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And with that, we close off chapter 18. A few things we might be able to go on and on about there at the end of those last few verses, but I don't know. I'm pretty good. I'm good for now. I I do have the question about, like, it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time of the Passover. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, why, why do they get the chance to, like push their customs on whatever the Romans are doing. That seems really weird. No, that's actually a a really great question. And remember here, what sits behind this whole conversation and in this moment with Pilate is the political, and everybody knows the political corner that Pilate lives in. He is backed into this crazy political situation because Judea, Palestine, 
is one of the most difficult regions to govern because of the Jews' insistence that they don't worship the emperor. They they hate Roman. It is just one of the most difficult places to rule and one of the most difficult jobs to keep peace. And so on one hand, you have Pilate coming in a week earlier with his white horse and his pomp and circumstance and his soldiers and his legions and military force reminding the Jews, don't, don't you even think about a revolt because we will crush it like a show of true imperial power. But on the other hand, they have to play politics because if they do have to expend all these resources and energy on, on a revolt and fighting the Jews, I mean, that works against them. And then Pilate loses his job real quickly. So he has to both keep them satiated and also remind them of their place. And it's this dance that they do. And so some have argued we have no historical evidence that Pilate or, or Romans would, would have had this tradition. So I, I do believe I have seen people that have found the reference somewhere. I cannot remember where it is, but somebody else could do the research on that if they're really interested in that. But it would make sense historically that one of the things that Rome would have arranged during the days of Passover, because everybody's getting amped up, everybody's wanting the overthrow of their oppressors. This is a very, this is not a fun week for Rome when everybody comes and celebrates Passover. You know, half a million, a million Jews in Jerusalem. It's a heated week. It would make sense that they have a tradition where there's a little give and take, where we 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 release one of your prisoners. As a, as I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a sign of good faith, but as something to kind of keep the tide. And I, what what bothers me here is that Pilate thinks I can't figure out why Pilate thinks that's going to work, because I see this crowd as a group, uh, and maybe Pilate doesn't know who the crowd is. The crowd is going to be people there that the Sanhedrin have brought. We've been told that in in the in other stories. This is crowd that the chief priests have brought for this moment. So they are working for them. They are on their side. And I don't know if Pilate's maybe unaware of that, if he actually thinks he's going to get around the chief priests by getting the crowd to say, yeah, give us Jesus, because they just brought him Jesus. (laughs) They just brought Jesus to him to be executed. So he knows how they feel about Jesus. And I'm not sure why it seems like he thinks, I will offer them Jesus and they'll be, okay, never mind. We don't want to kill him anymore. Go ahead and give us his life for free. Unless he thinks the crowd that's gathered there is not working for the chief priests, and he thinks maybe the crowd is going to force the chief priest's hand. Because what the chief priests are going to do is they're going to force Pilate's hand. I can't remember what shows up in John's gospel and what's in the synoptics, but it's the chief priests that are going to say, if you don't do this for us, you are no friend of Caesar's, which is their fighting words. It's them saying, we're going to make your career real difficult for you because this is the one week that you got to keep a good face. So how about you just execute this prisoner for us and we won't make your life miserable. So I I see a political dance here where Pilate's trying to get around the chief priests, but the chief priests are trying to force him into a corner and they end up winning out because we all know where Pilate goes in the story. He ends up washing his hands. He's like, I don't, I don't get this. This makes no sense. He's done nothing worthy of death, but you know what? It's your, it's your circus. So go ahead. And, and he kind of washes his hands of the whole thing. Not, not that I'm letting him wash his hands of the whole thing or giving that to him as an excuse, but it's the whole political game that's at play here in the, in, in the crucifixion story. And it's weird that, like, it seems like Barabbas would be the more problematic person for Pilate to release because it says, 
Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So if Pilate's whole job is to quell the uprisings, uh, it seems like a bad idea to give them back their guy who is leading these uprisings. And that's, but that's what it would have been every year. Or well, maybe not, maybe not leading, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it would have been every year. He's going to probably release. I mean, the people they're going to have are going to be zealots on some level, like some insurgent on one level or another, and he's letting them choose which one they want. So they kind of know that. But I mean, yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. And I think he's trying to figure out who this Jesus character is. Like. You want me to execute him? That's what I do to terrorists. So is this guy a terrorist? Like, do you want him back? And they're like, no, no, give us Barabbas. And he's like, oh, okay. So yeah, you're, but you're absolutely right. He's <laughs> he's an absolute insurgent as the story tells it. That's for sure. And apparently there is some debate about whether the Jews had uh, any right to capital punishment in certain like internal circumstances. Yep. Um, but uh, so I don't know if this is just like a, like, we want you to do it because I I don't know, like they, they want, they want Rome I, to I, be the hands that carry it out or they want Jesus to die the death of a terrorist. That is specifically what's going on here. They can stone people like they stone Stephen. They don't need to get Roman permission for that. They can put people to death for, they can, they can utilize cap. They want a particular Roman capital punishment. They want Jesus crucified as a terrorist. That is specific. Because remember, crucifixion is reserved only for te- what we would call terrorists. What they they would call them, you know, um, like your your gospels translated robbers. The two people crucified next to Jesus as robbers. Those are kanaim. Those are zealots. Those are insurgents. Um, those are terrorists. They want Jesus put to death as an imperial terrorist to tell everyone else, do not come after us. Because you will die the most gruesome death. Like they are wanting to make a show of this and wanting to make sure that Jesus dies a particular kind of death for everything from PR to an example, all the, all the things. Yeah. And actually this word that just they use to describe Barabbas here is the same word for the, the other two guys. Sure. On yep. the crosses next to Jesus. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, seems seems like that would be a, a tough pill for Pilate to swallow. It's like, oh man, like yep. this guy seems so much nicer. What do I really have to give up Barabbas? He's going to cause me so much more trouble in the end. Right, right. Which I don't. I mean, we don't see Barabbas coming back in the story, so who knows? And now that I, yeah, now that I think about it, maybe that is what Pilate is up to. Because remember, zealots. Well, they hate they hate the chief priests. So maybe he goes for Barabbas, thinking they're like. They're going to want Jesus released because if I release Barabbas, not only is that a headache for Rome, it's also a headache for the chief priests. The zealots are the people that have killed the chief priests on the temple grounds. Like, that's how much they hate the Sadducees and the chief priests. So I wonder if Pilate actually went for Barabbas because he's like, well, that's the worst option for the chief. If that's bad for me, it's even worse for them. And they actually take, <laughs> take him over Jesus, which really says something about how threatened their system is by what Jesus is doing. The only other time John uses this robber word is in John 10 when he's talking about the the sheep oh. and the robber coming uh, in. Okay. Wow. Uh, okay. Well, I I mean, there's there's so many little more details that we could sure. dive into, but I, I feel like we've we've given enough uh, enough items to wrestle with and there's plenty more to discover if you want to dig in. So I think that'll do it for this episode, Marty. Okay. We've done a good job today. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I feel that I've, way about it. I've gotten you worked up enough, that's for sure. <laughs> that was weird. That was weird. You got me. You got me. Uh I swear the NET footnotes, uh, you know, it's uh it's 
it's the opposite. It's not a diamond in the rough. It's uh it's a whole bunch of diamonds with like I don't it's know. a little rough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and it's not a crazy lots of people agree with that position. Lots of very smart, intelligent scholars agree with the NET on that one, but they're just wrong. They're just wrong. I really would like to um, you know. Maybe, maybe not myself. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. But if some listener wants to to look into the this word for cohort and see where else it is used um, in John specifically or in the other gospels or anything um, to try to get a, a sense of, you know, like, are they are they being too narrow with the usage or, you know, whatever. Don't disagree with Marty. We'll banish you from the <laughs> impossible. Impossible. We can't do that. It's impossible. <laughs> okay well uh that'll do it for this episode if you want to get a hold of marty you can find him on twitter at marty solomon uh you can find me at eibcb please join the Baymoss slack actually because uh if you're if you're investigating um these words like that's a great place to throw some ideas and then everybody can get involved in the conversation and we can all work together on it uh, of course you can do the same thing in your discussion groups or whatever else uh but we hope you uh, dig into it one way or the other whether it's that that item or something else there's plenty to look at in this chapter. So thanks for joining us on the Baymo podcast this week. We'll talk to you again soon.